be reading from 2nd chapter 5, 2nd Corinthians 5, 1 to 10. Second Corinthians 5, 1. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, shall not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed in order that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, also, we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. I'll pray. Lord, we um, again thank you for what you've written here, God, and, and throughout your word about being in relationship with you, your love for us, and and what it means to be pleasing to you. And I pray, God, that our hearts would just be lifted again and encouraged in you, and that um, we would um, be just having as our ambition, whether home, um, in this body, or absent, to be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, last week we were um, looking at Psalm 139 and the love of God. And if you remember, um, after all those wonderful verses talking about God's knowledge and His presence and His love for us, David said, Search me, O God, and see if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. And David seemed to recognize that that even though God loves us, he may not be pleased with everything he sees in us. So he loves me, but God search me and see if there be any hurtful way in me. Anything that's contrary to who you are, anything that brings hurt to your heart, God, search me, expose it, and lead me in the everlasting way. So I, I really wanted to use last Sunday as a, as a way to, to bring us into this topic of pleasing God. And that's what, what today's sermon is about. And there are a lot of verses that I want to look at. I did the, the reading here from 2 Corinthians 5 because it says that we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. So it's a good ambition. To please God. In fact, it's the highest ambition, the one ambition that we should all have is to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. I wonder sometimes if, if not many Christians um, ever give thought to pleasing God and what it takes, what it looks like to please Him. We know we don't like being people pleasers. And, um, you know, we try to raise our kids not to be people pleasers, but to operate on conviction and have values and to do what they know is right, even if everybody else is doing something else. And so we, we tell our kids, just because everybody else is 
is going crazy doesn't mean you should be crazy. And, and you know, no, don't just live your life to please other people. And that's, those are valuable things to teach our kids. But it occurs to me that if you love someone, you want to please them. Do you not? 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says that it's better to be single than to be married because the married person is concerned with how to please his spouse. And so his interests are divided. He can't just concentrate fully on the Lord because he has to also be concerned about what pleases his spouse. In Romans chapter 15, after spending an entire chapter in chapter 14 talking about the weaker brother and the stronger brother, Paul says in chapter 15 that we should not live just to please ourselves, but particularly the stronger brother ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please themselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to his edification, for even Christ did not please himself. And so if you love somebody, you want to please them. That's one of the things that that young children are learning, isn't it? What's pleasing? What's acceptable? What's not pleasing? What's unacceptable? I was watching um, little Ford a couple weeks ago, and he was swinging a stick around, and, and his big brother happened to walk by, and his big brother got whacked on the hand, and he cried. And little Ford went over to his mom with his lips quivering because he had hurt his brother. It wasn't pleasing. It was not acceptable. And he's barely two years old. But he has that in him that he loves his brother and he doesn't want to do what is unacceptable, what is displeasing to his brother. That thing, that kind of thing ought to be affirmed. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing to want to please others. When God created this world and put Adam and Eve in the garden. He basically told them, this is how you need to live in order to please me. And then they ate of that fruit, which was displeasing to God. And God said, you can no longer be in the garden. And then chapter 4, God tells Cain and Abel, this is the kind of sacrifice that you need to make in order for, for your sacrifice to be acceptable to me, to be pleasing to me. Abel did what was, he was told. Cain decided that he would offer something that was pleasing to him. Therefore, it ought to be pleasing to God. Isn't that how most of us live? Well, if it pleases me, surely it ought to please the Lord. Makes me happy, it's got to make God happy. I don't think so. And God said to Cain, what you've offered is not acceptable. And Cain didn't like what he was hearing from God. It is not a bad thing necessarily to want to please people. It can simply mean that we love them. It's a good thing for a husband to want to please his wife and for a wife to want to please her husband. We please people because we love people. We might want to please people because we simply want their acceptance. Or we please people because we love their acceptance more than we love God. And that's not good. But when there is no interest in pleasing others, it would seem to say there is no love for others. That we love ourselves above everything else. It's narcissistic love. When there is no interest in pleasing God, isn't it reasonable to say it's because there's no love of God? 
There's no love for God, therefore we have no interest in pleasing God. The good thing is, even though people are hard to please and easy to displease, God is easy to please. And so I want to spend some time just looking at a number of verses that, uh, so you're going to, you can just listen to this, you can thumb through these verses if you'd like, but there are a number of passages in Scripture that talk about pleasing God. If you just get out of concordance and look up all the words related to pleasing, that's a study in itself. And then you think about the words related to the favor of God or the disfavor of God, the things that God loves and the things that God hates, and it just gets bigger and bigger. That's why topical sermons are so hard, and I preach so few of them, is because to do a good job with a topical sermon, you've got to deal with every single verse. And in this case, it's a lot, a whole lot. We know that pleasing God ought to be our ambition. We already read that from 2 Corinthians 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 10 speaks of trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. In 1 John 3, verse 22, it says, Whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. Colossians 1.10 speaks of walking in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, if you don't know your Bibles very well, you might think that the way that you please Him in every respect is that we go into ministry and we all become pastors and missionaries. You you become more devoted to the Lord, and God is pleased with that, and He's not as pleased if you're not in full-time vocational ministry. And that is not the case. Haggai 1.8 says, Go up to the mountains, bring wood, and rebuild the temple, that I may be pleased with it and glorified, says the Lord. So God is pleased with what glorifies Him. If it glorifies God, God is pleased. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul says, We speak not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. In Hebrews 13, 15 and 16, Through Him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to His name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Doing good, sharing, the fruit of lips that give thanks to His name, these are the things that praise God and please God. We're told that Enoch was pleasing to God, and God took him to heaven, and he was no more. All of Hebrews chapter 11 is really about men and women who please God because of their faith. Why should we care about pleasing Him? From 2 Corinthians chapter 5, because the judgment seat of Christ is coming. And we will all stand before Him and have to give an account and be recompensed for everything that was done in the body. 
that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And we're not going to be there embarrassed about what other people think. But we'll be there and there will be some shame. And there will be a sense of loss because we have not entirely pleased our Lord and Savior who gave himself for us. We want to please God because our works in this life are going to be rewarded. Not only does 2 Corinthians 5 speak of that, but 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Everything is either wood, hay, and stubble or gold, silver, and precious stones. And we'd like to have a life that is producing gold, silver, and precious stones. We want to please God. We should care about it because God disciplines his children. And it's not a pleasant thing to come under the discipline of God. Hebrews 12 speaks of that discipline and that God loves those and disciplines those whom he loves. We should want to please God because God is at work in us to will and to work for his good pleasure. Philippians 2.13. So when we aren't living in agreement with God, who is working in us for his good pleasure, then we grieve God. And if we love someone, we don't want them grieved. Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. You know, we always speak of grace as being the unmerited favor of God. And I was reading someone recently who said, that's not necessarily the best way to describe God's grace. Because God's grace is free. And God's grace is always unmerited. But favor is not always something that's unmerited. The favor of God is sometimes a result of how we live. So that gets more, the favor of God gets more into the pleasing of God. For example, 1 Peter 2.19, For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience toward God... A man bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it and patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. We also know that Mary was one that the angel came to her and said, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Jesus in Luke chapter 2 kept increasing in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. So God's grace is unmerited. But there is an aspect to the favor of God, the pleasing of God, which is dependent on how we live. And God is not pleased with everything we do. Though God loves us unconditionally, his favor, his pleasure is not unconditional. He loves us unconditionally, and that will never change. He loves this whole world, but he is not pleased with everything that's happening in this world. He loves every single individual enough to give his son to die for them, but that doesn't mean he's pleased just because he's, he loves.
There's much that displeases him. So here are some thoughts on these verses and what the scripture has to say about pleasing God. God cannot be pleased with what is contrary to his own nature. If it is contrary to his design, to his purpose, or to his will, it simply does not please him. And this is important to think on. A Christian or an unbeliever will never fall out of the love of God. He will always be loved by God. But we can make the mistake of saying because God's grace is on us, because we live in the love of God and he loves us all, that God, I don't have to be concerned with pleasing God. But if my actions, if my life is contrary to what is true of God with his design, his will, or his purpose, then my actions, my life, is not pleasing to God. And if I know that he loves me, and I love him, that should matter. So we need to know, what is God's design? What is his purpose? What is his will? This is where Paul says, trying to learn what is pleasing to him. So what do we need to know? What, what we're trying to learn is, what is your design for a marriage? What is your design for an employer and an employee relationship? What is your design for how a slave and a master are supposed to relate to each other? What is your design for how a Christian relates to his government? These things are valid things to ask. Because if I don't know God's design and God's purpose and God's will, then it's likely that I will live in a way that's not pleasing to God. Even the person that is, that is and, and we see, for whatever reason, I don't know it, none of us understand fully, but there are so many people today that are, that are deeply troubled in their person because they feel that their sexuality that they feel is different than the sexuality of their bodies. And they're wanting harmony and consistency between what they feel and what they are when they look in the mirror. And so we understand that people are trying to bring harmony and consistency and congruency between their desires and what they are. And God is after that same harmony, that there would be absolute harmony and consistency between who God is and who we are. And nothing less than that is going to please him. Well, now, Charlie, you said it's not hard to please God. And that seems pretty hard. This makes me think of where God the Father said to his son, concerning his son at his baptism in Matthew chapter 3, as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he says, Behold, my son, in whom I am well pleased. And then again on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And so Peter got quiet. 
But then Jesus also spoke to this about being pleasing to God. And he said in John chapter 8, verse 28, he says, Jesus therefore said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. And I do nothing of my own initiative, but I speak the things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And the point being, the father was pleased with the son. Because there was no inconsistency, no incongruity between the son and the father. There was such harmony between the two that Jesus will say in John 14, If you've seen me, you have seen the father. No wonder that the Father says, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. It's an amazing thing to think about. That we can live in such a way as to be so pleasing to God that there's no disharmony, no disunity, no inconsistency between what is true of us and what is true of Him. But that harmony, that oneness, is not something that we can achieve on our own. It seems elusive, but it is attainable. I'm not talking about sinless perfection. Don't believe in that at all. Scripture doesn't speak to that. But the Scripture does talk about abiding in Christ in such a way that Christ is the one who's being seen in our lives. An unsaved person is loved tremendously by God. But that doesn't mean that all that he does is pleasing to God. In fact, Romans chapter 8 and verse 8 says, The one who is in the flesh, and that's Paul's way of describing an unbeliever. He is in the flesh. The one who is in the flesh, Romans 8, 8, cannot please God cannot. Is he loved? Yes. But is he pleasing to God? No. The one who is in the flesh cannot please God. There are a lot of very moral, upstanding, outstanding unbelievers. They would give their life for you. They would rather die than lie. But they do not know Christ. And if they are not in Christ, they are in the flesh. And a person who is not saved, the scripture says, cannot please God. Well, why is that? They're telling the truth. They're living a moral life. They are. But every aspect of their morality is generated from self. See, they are in the flesh. It's not being generated by God. It doesn't have its origin in God. They're not living from God. Jesus says, everything I do, I do pleasing the Father. But in the verse before, I do nothing of my own initiative. I always do that which pleases the Father. But we overlook the prior statement, I do nothing by my own initiative. So he wasn't good by his own strength. But he was pleasing to God because he was dependent upon God. That's the key. When we place our faith in Christ, at that moment, 
we are positionally in Christ and positionally pleasing to God. Why? At that moment, positionally, and it'll never change, positionally, the moment you place your faith in Christ, God says, I am pleased with you. Why? Because what is true of Christ is now true of us. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We are now in Christ. And so we are as righteous as he is. This is why Paul can affirm in Romans chapter 5 that we have, been, we have peace with God because we've been reconciled to God. God is pleased with us positionally because positionally, we are as right with God as Jesus is. So there is nothing to be displeased with. But we have to learn to live a life that is pleasing to him. And we are all are on that learning curve. We are positionally pleasing, but our actions, our words, our thoughts may not be. And that's why those things, our actions, our words, and our thoughts are going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. That's the reasons for 2 Corinthians 5. How did Jesus live a life pleasing to God? The answer to this question is the answer to how we can live a life that is pleasing to him. And it is, as I've said, not by trying to live for him and making a checklist of all that it takes to please him. That is not how Jesus lived. I recently, in a conference that Patsy and I were at, one of the speakers made the observation. I thought, that's a good observation. He said he had done a, a, an overview, a study of, of all the different discipleship curriculum that's out there today that he could find. And he didn't say how many he'd looked at, but he said every one he could find. He looked at it and looked at all the different discipleship curriculum that's there. And many of them focus on, on the disciplines of the Christian life. That if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you need to learn the discipline of prayer. You know, need to learn the discipline of evangelism. You need to know the discipline of giving. And on and on, the disciplines. Books have been written on the, on the disciplines of the Christian life. What he noted was not one single curriculum, not a single one, talked about how you do it. Everyone assumed that you just do it in your own strength. Not a single one spoke of the grace of God, the enabling of God, our need for dependence upon God. None of them. I imagine that if we had been able to, to follow Jesus around for those three years, everything he did would have amazed us. His prayer life, his boldness in evangelizing, his generosity, I don't think we would have walked away saying that is a disciplined life. I think we would walk away going, that is a man who knows his God and walks with him. Now, it would have been a disciplined life. 
It wasn't unruly. It wasn't impulsive. It wasn't self-satisfying. But we wouldn't have been impressed with disciplines. We would have been impressed, I believed, with the manner in which he lived. We would have been impressed with his dependence, with his acknowledged over and over again statement that he lived responding to the Father and not just living for the Father. He never took his own initiative. He constantly lived in dependence. Legalism, this is a definition from from F.F. Bruce, is the idea that my performance wins the acceptance of God. In a place of the word acceptance, you could put the pleasure of God. That my performance wins pleasure before God. It pleases Him. That is legalism. It is the flesh. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. It is impossible to please God without faith. So you can be the most moral, virtuous person on the planet, but if your morality and virtue are not derived from a dependent relationship upon God, In other words, if it is not because of faith in him, it does not please him. We don't get to decide what pleases God any more than Cain got to decide what an acceptable sacrifice was. God determines what pleases him. And God says, if it isn't of faith, it doesn't please me no matter how good our motivation may be, no matter how praiseworthy the act itself might be, if it is not derived from faith in Him, it is a selfish ambition, and it is not a God-pleasing ambition. God is not hard to please. What is He ultimately looking for? not looking for me to make myself more like Jesus. He's not looking for my life to become more disciplined. He is looking for me, for my life in every aspect of it, to reflect Jesus Christ. And all that it takes for that to happen. Romans 12, 1. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, which is what? Acceptable. In other words, pleasing, which is acceptable to God. He's looking for people who, in the same way that we were saved, and said, Jesus, save me. I cannot save myself. He's looking for people who are saved. Here I am, Jesus. Here's my life. I present it to you for you to live your life in me and through me. That is the life of faith, a life of dependence upon him. 
we will all seek to please the one we love. And God has poured the love of God within our hearts. So I know in preaching a sermon like this to believers, it's a bit of preaching to the, to the choir. Because I don't have to exhort you to want to please God. If the love of God has been poured out in your heart, and it has if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you want to be pleasing to Him. My concern is that you know how to please Him. And it will never be by what you do in your own strength. No matter how noble, no matter how praiseworthy it is. But we please God as Jesus pleased God. By living in a place of dependence where we acknowledge him for everything we say and do. We live from him. Even as Jesus, the son of man, did. And that is attainable. And aren't you glad our God is easy to please? I'm telling you, all he wants is for us to trust him. And he's pleased. That blesses my heart. He is not looking for us to run hurdles or jump through hoops or, you know, or and you just think about all the different things that all the religions of the world say that you have to do to please God. And the Bible says, trust Him. Believe in Him. Place your faith in Him. And He is pleased. He is easy to please. If we would be so easy to please in our relationships with each other, <laughs> wouldn't that be nice? We are so much harder on each other than what God is on us. God says, if you just trust me, I am pleased. I'll close this in prayer. Thank you again, Father, that your ways are not ours, higher than our own, infinitely better. Thank you, God, that in your love for us, and your knowledge of us, you know, as we talked about in Sunday school class this morning, that we are but dust. And it's impossible for us to do anything apart from you. But God, we do thank you that you are fully available to us, and there's nothing, including pleasing you, that you require of us that you aren't also able and willing to fulfill. And all of life, Lord, truly is just crystallized down to trusting you. And will we bring pleasure to your heart, O oh God, the one who loves us and gave his son for us? Will we please you by trusting in you? I thank you, God, that there's nothing more that you're looking for. That all that you want, Lord, including being brought into conformity to Jesus, is only in simply trusting you. Yielding ourselves to you as a living sacrifice, which is acceptable to you. It's all you want. And I pray, Father, that as we
just go through this life that we might increasingly just learn what that means to depend upon you, to acknowledge you in all things, to live from Christ, that you would be truly pleased. And I pray, God, that we would just put aside every thought of needing to work, God, for your pleasure. We already have your love, and we start from your pleasure because we are in Christ. May we rest, Lord, and joyfully live in what has already been granted to us. Your loving kindness, your favor, your goodwill, and your pleasure. In Jesus' name, amen.